When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Decision. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Thursday, January 4th, 2024. And Bob Iger has a decision to make. He, as the CEO of Disney, wakes up every morning wondering what will happen today. I'm not sure that he had on his bingo card that he'd have to deal with a fight between Jimmy Kimmel and Aaron Rodgers or a discrepancy or a disagreement between something that happens on one show versus another. Except that is a huge part of what you do when you're the CEO of a media company, when you've got different shows on different channels with different audiences. One of the things that you have to do is have a plan in place for how you decide jump balls. And I don't want to in any way make fun of or not give the proper level of gravitas to what Aaron Rodgers did on the Pat McAfee show. But I wanna take it out of the Epstein realm. I wanna take it out of the pedophile rung. I wanna take it out of the legal rung. Get back to those. But for now, I wanted to talk about what was in my head thinking about how Bob Iger deals with a situation like this. And when you're the CEO, things come across your desk every day. There are different departments who want different things and you're like the referee. One of the biggest jobs that a CEO has of a private company or a public company, from an operational standpoint, you're a referee, which department is gonna prevail with which issue, how you allocate budgets across different departments, how you decide where investment is made, Another one of the ways you spend your day is dealing with your investors, dealing with your board, dealing with PR, dealing with other executives, C-level executives, as you discuss strategies like selling ESPN or figuring out how to keep your stock price up or have it grow. But you also know that coming down the turnpike more than infrequently are things that happen when the red light is on that will force you to make a decision. And you try to practice in your head what you would do in certain scenarios. You keep in your mind which players, which talent is untouchable, which talent you're looking to be removed. Is there something that comes up that gives me an opportunity to get out of a contract that I don't wanna be in? What happens when there's someone who we have invested a ton of money and a ton of resources and they do something? How much latitude do they get? So you're thinking about all these things. And then Bob Iger woke up and realized that he had a decision to make as it relates to two of his biggest assets under the Disney umbrella, Jimmy Kimmel and Pat McAfee. And why do I say that it's Jimmy Kimmel and Pat McAfee? I say that because Aaron Rodgers 
is a guest on a show, a paid guest, but a guest nonetheless. It is not a hard decision when a guest does something on your show that you do not approve of and you do not want to have happen again. You call up the host and say that person can no longer be a guest on your show. That is not, that doesn't require board approval. It doesn't require Bob Iger to lose sleep. But when the guest is Aaron Rodgers, as opposed to a one-off guest, and by Aaron Rodgers, I mean a weekly paid guest, then you get a different level of scrutiny. Is there a contractual violation? Because when you're a paid guest of a show, you actually sign a document. And in that document, which is a contract, you get paid, that's the consideration, and in return, you say that you will appear every week for 15 minutes and that if you do X, Y, and Z, this contract may be terminated. If you don't do anything, this contract could still be terminated. So that's cause without cause. So Bob Iger looks at the Aaron Rodgers situation and says, I don't want any part of Aaron Rodgers on the McAfee show anymore because what Aaron Rodgers did is he crossed a line that I will not permit any guest to ever cross on my show. He can talk about, I want, I want, I want to, uh, excuse me, 4816, hi, I'm David Sampson. He can talk about the drugs that he did, ayahuasca. He can talk about going into the dark hole. He can talk about being injured, coming back, being anti-vaccine. He can talk politics. We're gonna give him that level of latitude because what he gives us as part of being a guest on the McAfee show is we get consolidated and aggregated every single week. We get headlines, we get eyeballs, we get revenue. But there are certain lines that you are not allowed to cross. And it's not a political line. You can be far to the right, far to the left, far to the center. You can be out of your absolute freaking mind. What you can never do is talk about and accuse somebody of doing something that they haven't done. You cannot commit defamation. Now, there are levels of defamation you're gonna hear people talk about in the media, and that is actually an incorrect way to analyze defamation. It's not levels of defamation. There are levels of damages that result from a defamation. You cannot say something with certainty about someone that you most certainly do not know and even above that cannot prove. When Aaron Rodgers says that Jimmy Kimmel, when that list comes out, the Epstein list, Jimmy Kimmel could be on it. I'll pop champagne if he's on it. And then Jimmy Kimmel responds by saying, hey, I could sue you for defamation. Bob Iger says to himself, that's the line. It's sort of like when the Supreme Court talks about pornography. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but I know it when I see it. When you've got a guest like Aaron Rodgers and you're weighing what the benefits are versus what the detriments are, and you're thinking to yourself when you're alone at night about practicing different scenarios as the CEO, there are certain things where you're not exactly sure how, how you will react. And there's certain things that you can role play that you're exactly sure how you will react. What Aaron Rodgers did on the McAfee show is one of those things where there is no question. So once Aaron Rodgers is no longer allowed to be a guest, that's when the true decision is made. What happens when your host says to you or your talent says to you, 
I don't want you to have say over who I talk to and what I talk about. That's a level of power that comes with money, it comes with numbers, and it comes with commitment. The money that you are paid, the commitment that your company has to you, and the numbers that you provide to your company. And under all metrics, Pat McAfee is a positive for ESPN. Forget all of the things that happen where people criticize what happens on game day or people criticize some of the things he says and how he does what he does. Bringing the level of fun, trying to continue the path that so many people are on to dumb down sports and to pretend that all of our listeners are morons. Something that I will never participate in because I do never want you to think that I do not find you to be an intellectual equal or someone who can't handle interesting intellectual conversation. But there is opportunity and room for people like McAfee and his show, where what they do is they are far more interested in making you believe it's casual with the tank tops and that they are just an, they're an everyman. The McAfee show is an absolute corporate entity. It is not like every show. He is not like every host. He wants you to believe that because that's his character. But at the end of the day, McAfee has a business. Part of McAfee's business is to be unapologetic. Part of his business is to say, hey, I got to tell you, even though I'm moving to ESPN, I'm still gonna get to swear and I'm still gonna be the man that you want in your living room and sitting on the couch watching football with. Yet it took McAfee about a minute to separate himself from what Rogers had said. And he did it in a way that was very un-McAfee. He said, I can see exactly why Jimmy Kimmel felt the way he felt, especially with his position. But I think Aaron was just trying to talk shit. Now, did it go too far in a lot of people's minds? McAfee said, we obviously don't like the fact that we are associated with anything negative ever. I wanted to stop during his statement and during his comments to talk about that. We obviously don't like the fact that we are associated with anything negative ever. How exactly are you a media personality and expect to never be associated with anything negative ever. I guess you can be right down the middle, be straight, not have an opinion about anything. Just be the guy who's all jolly. Hey, let's go Lions. Whoa, we love when Campbell wants to knock kneecaps. Hey, let's bring on a guest and talk about the games and talk about how this quarterback stinks or that wide receiver stinks. And what about that referee? Give the people what they want. Is that the theory? Because if you never want to be associated with anything negative, that means you don't want to be associated with anything positive. Because where's the frame of reference? How can you choose to only be associated with things that are positive? I don't believe I'm capable of doing that. If I'm out here every day on Nothing Personal giving you commentary for 45 minutes a day, I of course have the expectation that some of the things I say and some of my points of view, you are going to disagree with. And I want you to. 
I want you to feel as though that what I'm saying to you makes the hair on your arm stand up sometimes. I want you to think that guy, I couldn't agree with him less. He doesn't know a thing. I am totally good with that. Am I gonna avoid talking to you about stories like the Wander Franco story? Stories that are just ugly, that hurt. No, we talk about those things because that's the type of show that we think you want. But for McAfee to say, hey, listen, only gonna associate with things that are positive. I want rainbows and unicorns, but by the way, pay me $17 million or $30 million, whatever number that you think he's getting paid. For all those who think he took a pay cut to go to ESPN, you don't know, just like I don't know whether he did. But when you are in that position, you cannot choose what you're associated with in terms of positive, negative. What you can choose is who your guests are and then what you do if one of your guests go off the rails. Bob Iger is gonna call Pat McAfee and explain to him why Aaron Rodgers can't be a guest anymore. And Pat McAfee is not going to say one word. If Bob Iger called Pat McAfee and said, I don't want you to have this player on anymore because this player does not represent ESPN or Disney's values because he is a Trumper, let's say. McAfee would stand his ground as he should. If Bob Iger went to Pat McAfee and said, I want you to do a segment where you tell everybody that Disney is the greatest company in the world and that all of our movies are Oscar contenders. McAfee could cross his toes, roll his eyes, but he would be forced to do that as an employee of ESPN. What he cannot be forced to do is have an opinion of his own on a subject that I like to call third rail subjects. So as an example here at Metalark, when we promote DraftKings, DraftKings is our partner. It, you don't know for sure whether every employee at Metalark uses only DraftKings and not FanDuel as an example. You don't know for sure if every employee bets or doesn't bet or what every employee does, but what you do know is that on the air, when the red light is on, DraftKings is a partner. Therefore, we don't sit around a show saying F you DraftKings. Gambling, what a terrible business run by terrible people. But what we do talk about on Nothing Personal is part of the trappings of gambling, the pitfalls, the ramifications, the ripple effects. And if DraftKings called me up and said, David, you're no longer permitted to talk about gambling as even the possibility of being something bad for leagues and their integrity. I then would have a choice to make. Either I would pick up my nothing personal show with Coca and go somewhere else, or I would say, you're paying the bills, I will give in to what you're saying. Every person who has a show, every talent has that ability to decide where they will give their platform to, who they will associate it with. Do you think that McAfee for one second is going to die on the Aaron Rodgers Hill as it relates to a comment about accusing Jimmy Kimmel of being a pedophile? It's not even close. So when I tell you the word of the day is decision, it's to let you know that Iger has a decision to make about Rodgers, done. He has a decision to make about McAfee. The decision about McAfee is 
how much do I want to change McAfee into something that is more quote unquote Disney, more quote unquote corporate culture? Does any of this sound familiar to what happened with my friend Dan Levitard? The whole point of freedom, the whole point of the pirate ship was that Dan Levitard did not feel as though he wanted to be under the constraints of Disney any longer. And by starting his own media company, he felt he had the ability to be free, to be both positive, to be both negative, to attack subjects that are complicated, that are difficult, and that are very binary. And that certain people have one opinion and certain people have the exact opposite opinion. You don't choose freedom when you want to go right down the middle and never be associated with anything negative or never have anyone say anything negative about you. So the decision was not Iger. The decision was McAfee. When he gets spoken to by Iger and told about the decision with Rogers, when he knows he's not going to die on the Rogers Hill, but does he die on the Independent Hill? Does he say back to Iger, you knew what you were getting with me. Don't you stop me from being me because that's the only reason why I'm valuable to you. And then Iger gets to make the decision based on what kind of revenue is driven by McAfee and whether or not the juice is worth the squeeze. And then on the other side, you've got the Jimmy Kimmel situation. Jimmy Kimmel, who's just signed a new deal, I think last year. Jimmy Kim Kimmel, who is a pillar of late night, who is, is he hosting the Oscars this year again, Coca? I think he is. Somebody who is obviously very important to the Disney umbrella and the Disney family. Does that mean that Jimmy Kimmel gets backed in every jump ball with every decision that's made? Absolutely not. Nobody's above it. But in this case, when Jimmy Kimmel goes public the way he did, on a topic where he cannot lose, Bob Iger has no choice but to decide to come down on the side of Jimmy Kimmel, and he will. Does any of this mean that Jimmy Kimmel is actually going to file a defamation suit against Aaron Rodgers? No. I do not believe Jimmy Kimmel will file a defamation suit, both because it's a pain in the ass to file a lawsuit, it's expensive to file a lawsuit, the likelihood of prevailing is de minimis, but Jimmy Kimmel's also getting a call from Bob Iger saying, can we do a favor here and tourniquet this? I've taken care of Rogers. I've spoken to McAfee. Let's not give this story any more oxygen than it already has. Then Bob Iger moves on to his two o'clock meeting and then goes back, goes to bed, wakes up, and tomorrow brings another decision. That's all yesterday was, was another day in the life of a CEO of a company like Disney. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers continues. I got to do one more little segment here, Coca, on Aaron Rodgers and on Zach Wilson, because at some point I'm going to put them to bed and get and stop talking about Rodgers because I, I can't stand the fact that he gets the attention he gets because he's not a performing player. He's not worthy of our analysis. He's not worthy of our attention. He's just a, a digme. And it's okay to be a digme if you're actually performing. And four snaps does not a performance make. But what I do think about is how he was mentoring Zach Wilson and how he was going to be really good for Zach in a way that he may not have been as good for Jordan Love because he wasn't as excited that they didn't draft a wide receiver. They drafted Love and he was annoyed. Why be annoyed with Love? He didn't do anything. 
but it's going to be different with Zach. I'm going to come back as fast as I can from this Achilles tear, and I'm going to get the clipboard, and I'm going to get the headphones on, and I'm going to be his guy. Zach Wilson was Robert Sala's guy, Joe Douglas's guy. 13 weeks, in, weeks into the season, no longer the guy. And then a few weeks later, Zach Wilson's lying about his health. There's a video posted by his mom. Zach Wilson's out for the year. He may or may not have a concussion, likely does. He may or may not have lied to the medical staff, likely did. So Robert Sala is in the unfortunate position of having to say, hey, Zach Wilson, hell of a quarterback, great career. Will he be a Jet? Nah, I can't go that far. If he's a great quarterback who has a hell of a career in front of him, why wouldn't you keep him a Jet? Is it because Aaron Rodgers doesn't want him to be a Jet? Is it because you don't actually believe he's a hell of a quarterback? The only reason that we would ever pump up our players who we thought stunk is that we wanted to trade them and we wanted to increase their perceived value. And that sort of stuff worked a bit better before analytics, where now it doesn't really matter. Brian Cashman used to be the best in the business of this. He would make everyone believe that his prospects were the best in baseball, and he would get all the publications to write about how great his prospects were. And in fact, he would just pump them up and they stunk. But we would try to do the same, and we would actually say to our scouts and development people, hey, talk up this list of guys around the batting cage. Talk up this list of guys in the scout seats, because we have no thoughts of them being on our team in the future, and we're going to use them to try to get other pieces. That's not what the Jets are doing with Zach Wilson. He's just going to be gone. So there's actually no reason to keep talking about him. And the Jets are continuing to make their bed with Aaron Rodgers as proven by the fact that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas have already been told by Woody Johnson, the owner, that they're coming back because what a great performance they had. And what a great job they've done building a winning team and a winning culture. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers is the centerpiece to their entire plan on and off the field. I wonder whether Sala and Douglas have the protection of Johnson because Aaron Rodgers was actually not the choice of Sala or Johnson, but was the of uh, Douglas for age 69. Aaron Rodgers was not the decision of Sala or Douglas but actually was the decision of the owner, Woody Johnson. How's that for something to think about? That when owners do an OP, owner's prerogative, they can't blame the manager or the coach or the GM. They've got to keep them in place because if they do fire them, then you've got a situation where you've got an executive out there in the open market who is going to get word out, and believe me, they do. Believe me, because I've had it happen. Believe me, they do. When you sign a player, and then you blame the GM when the player stinks, and the GM didn't want the player, and then you go out publicly and say, I never liked that player, never wanted that player, except you were the one who demanded it, word gets around. And the impact of that, sadly, is zero. Because owners always win because they're the owners. That's why owners do owner's prerogative. That's why owners can or cannot blame staff, coaches, GMs, players for moves. Because what exactly is the retribution? When a GM makes a player personnel decision that doesn't work, the GM is risking his job. When the owner makes a player personnel decision that doesn't work, the owner is risking a losing season. 
It's not even like the value of his asset goes down. It's not even like his operating profit goes down. There are zero consequences to owners making decisions on players. Zero, which is why they keep doing it. And the minute an owner makes a decision on a player that works, that owner then believes for the rest of time that every decision he makes or she makes or they make is going to be correct. So it emboldens them. I'm not sure what Woody Johnson has done where he thinks that any decision he may make to the extent he even makes any have worked. I think the odds are much more likely that Woody Johnson said to Douglas and Sala, hey, we got to get Rodgers because I think he's the best chance for our team to get better. And the GM and coach said, Jesus, did you look at our team last year? I mean, no disrespect to Mike White. Great. Love him. Go university school. Let's go. But really, Aaron Rodgers on your team? Of course, you're going to choose that. And now look where it's gotten them. They are in a big pile of mediocrity, if not horrificness. They have no prospects to be better. Aaron Rodgers is a year older. He's going to come back from injury, which is difficult to come back from, and try to perform at a level that, quite frankly, if you look at, he has not been at in years, though he did win the MVP, what is it, two years ago, three years ago? And not to Coco. When's the last time Rodgers won MVP, by the way? Remember he won it like back-to-back -back years? I can't remember how recent it was, but it, it, was, it may have been 2020 and 21 or 19 and 20. But don't be fooled. He is no longer an MVP caliber player. But the Jets have made their bed and they're going to jettison Zach Wilson and they're going to keep Sala and Douglas and they're going to go to training camp and they're going to take the microphone and say, we believe in this team and we are Super Bowl contenders. What a bunch of horse hockey. He was MVP in 20 and 21. So next season's 24, three years removed from MVP. Oh, side note, Coco, if we have a minute. One of my favorite things to do with players. Hey, that guy was an MVP. That guy won the Cy Young eight years ago. That guy was amazing five years ago. He's going to be back to what he was. It never works that way. That guy's going to be the comeback player of the year. That's what they're saying Aaron's going to be. You know what? I got, I got a few wait to sees. I'm going to give you two right now, Coco, if you don't mind. Wait to see is when I say something's going to happen. If it does, great. If it doesn't, great. We will revisit it. Number one, Aaron Rodgers will not appear on Pat McAfee's show next season. The reason why it'll wait till next season, in my opinion, is Aaron Rodgers will not want to look like he's been punished. Pat McAfee will not want to look like he's been neutered. Aaron Rodgers will have a chance to either apologize or walk it back or just ignore it and move on. The deal will be that next season, no Rodgers. And Rodgers will then have the ability to say, hey, I'm focused on the field. I'm focused on helping my team win games. I want this to be the best Jets season ever and bring the Super Bowl trophy back to New York for the first time since Joe Namath. That's what gives him the ability to say it is if he's on now, but then will not be on next season. So Aaron Rodgers will not appear on McAfee next season. Wait to see number two. And this is the biggest gimme. So I'm, I'm giving myself a gimme. Aaron Rodgers will not win comeback player of the year in 2024. Okay, those are the two wait to sees. All right, let's take a break. And uh, 
let's review a movie that I'm really gonna ask all of you to see. And then I wanna answer one of your questions. One of you t wanted to me to talk about Rory McElroy, and I can't wait to talk about what he did yesterday because the Saudi Arabians and their sovereign funds, they are whistling Dixie out of their tuchus with the accomplishments they've made in their sports washing endeavors. We'll be right back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. I'm David Sampson. It is a Thursday. Thank you for joining us. We're live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson. That's the YouTube channel. Hit subscribe. We have a fun, active live chat during the course of a show. In addition, you can download the audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to tell your friends and family about what we do here because with your help, we keep going. We have a website, davidsampsonpodcast.com. That's davidsampsonpodcast.com. I was gonna wear my no chance toilet pants sweatshirt on the air today because I was wearing it this morning. I was up at 3.30, Coke. I watched a documentary. I'm not reviewing that one today though. And I was watching the, an episode in season two of Slow Horses. I just couldn't sleep and I didn't feel like running. I'll do that after the show, Coca. But I was wearing my no chance toilet pants sweatshirt and I thought, why don't I wear that kind of stuff on the air so you can all see it. I love the merchandise on davidsampsonpodcast.com. So thank you for visiting the website. All right, I still watch a movie every day, uh, even if it's uh, a day that I'm sick or a day that I'm traveling, it doesn't matter. There is not a day. During the break, I watched a documentary that I believe is going to get some attention come Oscar time. And if it doesn't, it should, but either way, I'm hoping you see it. It's called Four Daughters. Four Daughters is about a mother named Ulfa and her four daughters. And that sounds ordinary, what's, what's the hook? Well, she has four fantastic daughters. Everything's going fine. They're in Tunisia. And then all of a sudden, the oldest two daughters basically became radicalized by Islamic jihadists. They became terrorists. The documentary is done in a way where there are actors who play the part of two of the four daughters, the two daughters who became jihadists. And the other two daughters play themselves, the two daughters who were left behind and are normal. The mother plays the mother, but then there's an actress who also plays the mother when they recreate scenes that are too difficult for the mother to be a part of or to help in, its, in their re recreation. It is such a well done documentary and here's what I spent time thinking about. And this is one of those things where I'm walking a fine line, but this is where my head was. I've never thought about the families of terrorists. Never. I, I watched the Jeffrey Dahmer show and I looked at his father played by Richard Jenkins. Didn't think much of him. When they're terrorists who took down the World Trade Centers, 9-11, all of the terrorists, Hamas, I don't think about their parents or their siblings. 
And if I do, I'm embarrassed to tell you that my immediate thought goes to, I guess they're all terrorists. And I'm sick that that's where my head goes because it's just not true. Just because one person in a family does a bombing, a suicide bombing, or a terrorist attack, why does that mean that that person's little sister or that person's little brother or that person's mother has those same radical, disgusting views that cause you to commit murder? It's almost amazing that I'd never thought of it because I find myself to be thoughtful. I guess I didn't want to humanize anybody. It's better not to. It's better not to have any sort of feeling of empathy toward a family of a terrorist because God forbid it would leak into feelings for a terrorist. Can you separate the fact that someone does something and it is not a reflection at all of their upbringing or of their family? And I truly had never spent the time to go through where my head was. And during this documentary, it's the story of the mother who raised four girls, raised them the same. And then all of a sudden, and you're gonna say, and this is fine, but I'd rather you think deeper about it. Well, what do you think about people who commit murder in the United States, David? Doesn't mean everybody's a murderer. What if one sibling's a part of a gang that does, or has tattoos on the face? That doesn't mean that someone else does. I've got tattoos, my sibling doesn't. And all of that's correct. I've always thought about that in terms of quote unquote domestic crime. I've always been able to separate that when someone who is a criminal or a felon, it has nothing to do with their sibling. But I never did with terrorists. And I don't know why. Four Daughters is a documentary that A, is so important to watch, but B, how about if it helps inform all of us to think a little more critically about how we view people. That would be a positive. All right. Speaking of terrorists. Coca? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. And I didn't mean terrorists as in everybody in Saudi Arabia is a terrorist. Just like everybody in Saudi Arabia doesn't kill journalists and chop them up. But we've spent a lot of time talking about the sovereign funds, their investments in American sports and American assets, their attempt at sports washing. We spent a lot of time talking about the Live PGA merger. The deadline for that merger was 12-31-23. That deadline was missed. The PGA is looking for outside investment, including the group that is trying to sign Mbappe and won't sign any free agents in Boston. They are investing in the PGA, rumor has it. But one thing that has always been crystal clear is that Rory McIlroy was extremely against Live and all players who took the money to go to Live. So one of you asked me a question. So you wanna to talk to Samson. Hi, David. Hi. I just saw that Rory McIlroy apologized for his previous comments on the Live tour. Now I may be a tad cynical, this is still the person, but I feel like the apology was simply made because of the merger between PGA and Liv. Would love to know your thoughts. Now this is written by someone who has been a listener of nothing personal since the beginning, because that was also part of the question that didn't make it in. So thank you for that. 
And if you've been listening since October of 2019, you have a healthy dose of cynicism as it relates to athletes and what they say when they say it, because generally there's an agenda behind it. And in this case, you are exactly correct. What would be the reason that Roy McElroy would choose to apologize for previous comments? Well, here's what he said on the Stick to Football podcast. He said, I think at this point, I was maybe a little judgmental of the guys who went to live golf at the start. And I think it was a bit of a mistake on my part because I now realize that not everyone is in my position or in Tiger Woods position. Uh-oh, Rory. Are you trying to walk back your view of people taking the money at live? And are you trying to convince us that the reason you're walking it back is that you didn't realize that not everybody on the tour made the money that you make on the tour? Are you kidding me? That's the best you could come up with with your representative after Tiger Woods called you, this is my view, and said, hey, Rory, we're gonna have to walk back the whole live thing because you and I are partners in a new venture. And on top of that, PGA is going to merge with live because we need the money. So it would be smashing if you would just soften a tad, maybe just acknowledge that there's some gray area and it's not black or white that there could be reasons why players would want to join live. And the best you came up with is that you never realized that not everyone is in your position. How about this? This would have been a better way to say it on the podcast. Hi, I'm Rory McElroy. I would like to tell you that I was front and center because I believe in my heart that sovereign funds should not be a part of any sport that I'm a part of. And I don't want to be associated with anybody who dismisses human rights the way those are done in Saudi Arabia. I don't want to be associated with anyone's attempt to in any way be looked at as something other than what they are and who they are. That said, it's a free country. And that's what makes America great. There's no freedoms in Saudi Arabia. There's no women's rights in Saudi Arabia. The best thing about our tour and about our country is that if people want to take a different job, if people want to do a different vocation, avocation, that's totally their right to do. I'm not going to do it, but they can. That would have been an amazing thing to start with. Then when you realize that you are about to be part of a merged company with a group you don't want to be with, then you've got to be stronger going back to the beginning of the show or you have to have no principles at all. Stronger means that when the merger happens, Rory McIlroy says, I will not play golf for this combined entity. I have great respect for everyone who has, but I've decided that I will play in the major tournaments only that are not associated with this new merged PGA Live company. That would be totally consistent. That would be totally fine. No one would say boo about that. Except for Rory McIlroy's sponsors and Rory McIlroy's checkbook. The reason why they would say boo to that is they want Rory McIlroy playing. They want him winning. Because people tend to forget PGA live when they merge everyone. There'll be a stink for about a minute and a half. 
and then you'll forget it happened. Won't even mean anything. Oh, that John Rahm, I can't stand that guy. Phil Mickelson, screw him. Who's saying that anymore? Which is, of course, the point of what the sovereign fund and what Saudi Arabia is trying to do. Get past the negative and you will get to neutral at least and maybe even positive. So when Royal McElroy was asked to walk back his comments, for him, it should have been easy to do. I just don't understand the way in which he did it. It could have been done in such a cleaner way where he could have actually been principled. Instead, he did a bait and switch where he was insulting you. Another thing that you know makes me crazy. I don't want you to be insulted by people, by athletes, by CEOs, by executives, by people with microphones. I just now realized that not everyone's in my position. Okay. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are 0-2. We lost our parlay. The Bucks lost to the Pacers. So we're now down two full units. The Knicks beat the Bulls as I thought. I did not think the Pacers. I'm a little guilty of this. And maybe this is personal bias where as a Milwaukee and I just love the Bucks and I think the Bucks should win the title. I want them to win the title. I want Giannis to be successful. My hatred of the Pacers has lasted since the 90s and eight, as, as Nick fans back in the Rick Smiths, Antonio and Dale Davis years. Having Mark Jackson on the Pacers was painful for me because I loved him so much on the Knicks. And I guess while I was sleeping, the Pacers are damn good. And I should have said, wow, they got to the finals of the in-season tournament, but I dismissed that as irrelevant. But they beat the Bucs, so we lost our parlay. We got a game tonight. We got a doubleheader, and they're both on national TV. The late game is the Denver Nuggets and the Golden State Warriors. We spent a lot of time talking about the Warriors and the position they're in. Steve Kerr has spent a lot of time trying to defend and talk about the quality of his team. And Jokic is spending a ton of time trying to get home again. That said, they're favored by a field goal only. And anytime the Nuggets are favored, no matter where they are, and I can get it as low as a field goal, I'm going to take it. Denver Nuggets, three over the Warriors. That's our nothing personal pick of the day. One of the things that you have to decide when you are a CEO or a president, and the beginning of the show, we talked about Iger and the decisions he has to make. One of the things that came across my desk only occasionally, because our head of ballpark operations would make these decisions on a daily basis, it was what fan conduct can be. If it comes to my desk, it means something went wrong. It means that there was a fight, that there was a problem, there was an injury. Something major has to happen for it to come to my level. There was a game in Utah the other night where the Nets were, the Nets, excuse me, 4-8-69. There was a game the other day in Utah where the Dallas Mavericks and Kyrie Irving were the visiting team. And there were three people sitting in the front row who were holding up a sign. And the sign said, I'm a Jew and I'm proud. Stadium security went to them and asked them to remove their signs, didn't kick them out of their seats, but asked them to remove their signs. And it's become a big Megillah. And I want to explain to you why I, where you would think I'm gonna go crazy about this, I am 100% on board with what the Jazz did. We can argue whether Kyrie Irving demanded it. 
We can argue whether Kyrie Irving is a bad person or a good person, whether his MO is to be anti-Semitic or not. And you can have your opinion. And certainly I have mine and we've discussed it. I've had many occasions where the other team has come to me about signs in our stadium, or my owner has come to me about signs in our stadium, or the league has come to me about signs in the stadium. And we have very simple rules. The rules are, it's our stadium. We will tell you what signs are allowed and what signs are not allowed. And what we start with is no signs are allowed that are in any way an obstruction to the field of play. I don't care if it's, I love you, David. If that sign is stopping someone in the second row from seeing the game, that sign gets taken down. In practice, did I get involved if I saw a sign that said, I hate you, Samson? Would I say, bring that sign down? The answer is no, I would not if they put it in a place that did not bother anyone. The signs that were being held, and the reason why this is a story, is the signs were held by big time season ticket holders, courtside season ticket holders, who happened to be rabbis. So now what people are saying is what Utah did was anti-Semitic and the fact that they're backing up Irving, how could they do that? And Utah released a statement that said that the signs violated arena rules and those rules were created, quote, so that games can be played without distraction or disruption. No matter where someone is in the arena, if a sign becomes distracting or sparks an interaction with a player, we will ask them to remove it. I completely 100% agree with that rule. And I 100% agree with the interpretation of the rule and the execution of the rule because you can't say that one thing is good and one thing is not in politics. You can feel it, you can believe it, you can protest it, but when you've got a stadium, we wouldn't allow pro-Castro signs, we wouldn't allow anti-Castro signs in Miami. The reason is that we are not a political arena, but above that, we are an arena where we want people to watch games. If you want to stand outside and hold up signs, if you want to be where the players enter the, the facility where the buses come and hold up a sign, I'm a Jew and I'm proud, great, do it. If you want to hold up a sign that says free Palestine and you want to do it where the players come through, great, do it. Do not do it where it is blocking anybody's view or a player says, you know what, that's catching my eye. But what's the line? Would I ask somebody to take a blazer off? Let's say someone's wearing a really twinkly blazer right on the front row. Guess what? We've done that before. If there's someone sitting behind the plate where the pitcher gets distracted because they're wearing something reflective, we've asked people to please remove the coat and offer them another seat. The integrity of the game, players and their ability to play. Are there nefarious reasons sometimes? Was Kyrie Irving saying I want the sign down because of what it said? Not my job to speculate. As the owner of a team, as the president of a team, as the building operator of a team, when a player says something's distracting, let the league evaluate. I'm not gonna do that. I'm taking that sign down. All right. I think people are gonna be upset with that point of view, but that really is my point of view. Which means we've come to the end of our show. Guess what though? We'll be back tomorrow 
with a weekend full of nothing personal picks of the day and other amazing stories that will reveal themselves through the course of what is a Thursday in January. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.